After living in three dozen cities, she's finally run out of them. It's the Raleigh James Show. Call Raleigh at 888-876-5593-8888-RALEIGH. He said, she said, you've heard it all before in bits and pieces, and of course the talking heads don't endorse it, so you're not ready to believe it, but here to tell you that everything that's happening right now, you don't have to consult a psychic to find out what's coming next, because the Fabians and those of their ilk were kind enough to state it for you. You can read all about it. And the guy who has been researching it for years is Alan Watt, perhaps the preeminent researcher on this subject. You can get to cuttingthroughthematrix.com and read to your heart's content. And uh, I've been talking with Alan, and of course my, uh, uh, my inclination is to hop for the next hour, but I promised we'd open him up to you, and we will do that. So all you have to do is give us a call, 610-640-6400. We'll get to Steve in Cave City, and there's room for you, too. Now, we will get to Steve. we got Ken. we got Gary. Uh, we've got Alan Watt with us for the uh, next hour, so I promise to uh, shut up and leave the uh, floor open to you. You go to cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and you will read about everything we're talking about. So let's kick it off with Stephen in Cave City. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Raleigh. Uh, great show, and it's an uh, honor to speak to Mr. Watts. My, my question is, is since they've already had all this planned, and like I feel that the elections are rigged and the politicians are part of the problem, so while we still have, the only time I ever saw the globalist pause was when they thought they were collapsing the economy too fast. So instead of fighting against it and beating our heads against the wall while we still have an inkling of freedom and our weapons, why not give them everything they want now and get the revolution started now? Uh-oh. All right, good question. Go ahead, Alan. <laughs> yeah, uh, don't think they didn't think about that a long time ago. Uh, you see, they put Mr. Bush in uh, to set up the machinery to take care of all the problems, and uh, now they've put in the next man to implement uh, the last parts of the socialization of the Americas, basically. And, uh, and he'll use the machinery that's set up. Uh, people don't realize that um, troops for years now have had uh, training in urban warfare. In fact, mm. in Chicago, one of the biggest bases there is a town, a whole town built for urban uh, warfare uh, mm. practice. And it's been there for about 10 years now. So uh, they have them all over the place. They're well aware of, of the system they're bringing in. They're well aware there will be um, um, trouble back home. There's no doubt about it. And they've been preparing for this for a long time. Not so long ago, too, I read articles on the air where uh, guys straight over, uh, regiments straight over from Iraq, were now being deployed also at home, supposedly in preparedness for emergencies and so on. So they're well aware. Police for years now have, have two uniforms. One is their regular uniform, the other one is their SWAT team outfit. Uh, they've been training these guys in part of what they call the multi-jurisdictional task force. I talked about that, that, that this multi-jurisdictional task force back in the early 90s, and people laughed at me. 
uh, last year on the news in CBC Canada, they were showing you policemen from Canada dressed up with the military, uh, taking part in military exercises with regular troops knocking down doors in Iraq and pulling people out so they're their guns and so on. Uh, so be, and then they come back into their police outfits when they come back home. They've been training and preparing for this for many, many years, and the public are completely unaware of it. You're right, though, um, to an extent, the longer it goes on this way, uh, and it's almost passing the point of no return, um, the easier it will be for them to, to bring you to your knees, because food will be the next major weapon. Uh, they always said at the end that they would use the power of the purse, and food as well. Yeah. And with money, you see, money to the elite at the top is nothing. It's a tool. Everyone down below lives on it. It's the most essential thing we have if you don't have a land or, or, or crops or whatever. Money is the key. So as long as we believe in it, then we must need it to survive. The ones at the top use money as a weapon and a tool uh, to control the public. And that's what we're seeing used against us. Now, you haven't seen the full effect of it yet, and it will definitely get worse. But you're quite right. I mean, technically, um, just to, to quote um, Jefferson, he said that really you need a revolution every generation yeah. or two to clean out the corruption that will come into government. But we're too, pa- we're too far past that right now for it to be truly effective, aren't we? Oh, oh yes. And, and the thing is, too, uh, the top, they've already looked at all these possible scenarios, mm-hmm. as I say, that 90-page report from Britain and the equivalent one from the Department of Defense for the U.S. Uh, they say that most riots, etc., will be just that, like mm-hmm. rioting mobs sure. that have no central command. Sure. Uh, in fact, if you ask them why they're rioting, they'll all give you different reasons. Uh, that there's no cohesive policy. If you have a, a revolution, you've got to have a doctrine. Right. And the doctrine has to be taught so everyone knows what they're fighting for, etc., and where they're heading uh, at the end of it. And we're not there. Uh, You're so, so right. Pe- people, yeah, people have been so scattered and separated from each other, yes. liberally, by the way. Um, the one thing they were terrified at the top was, and they discussed this in, in great detail, was any kind of religious movement mm-hmm. uh, that, that would just come back again because it was the only organized structure in, in the Americas. And if that was to turn against them, uh, people would have a, a sort of a natural fanaticism for freedom. Yeah. Then that would be their main opponents. And that is why, uh, even when President Bush was in, uh, the neoconservatives uh, literally bought off or, or, or put in top men in charge of big Christian outfits to make them all stand behind the war in Iraq, etc., yeah. until you actually had Christians uh, wanting to go off and kill for Jesus, thinking it was their duty. Um, so they've effectively infiltrated any opposition. There's a lot of good people out there who still have a, a, an idea of an old cultural policy, a previous cultural policy, uh, with rights and uh, humaneness in it, and cohesion amongst themselves. Um, but that has been under so such heavy attack. And even the Fabians said that too, they'd have to eradicate all um, standard mainstream religions in order to bring this particular yeah. regime into place. And yeah. that's, that leads us into Ken from George's thoughts. So, Ken, welcome. Hi, Raleigh. How are you tonight? All righty. Okay. Um, yeah, my question was I, I missed part of the interview and, uh, with Mr. Watts there. And I was wondering with the Pope coming out just before the G8 summit and saying that it's time for a yes. World Bank or a world organization to watch over the finances for us, what role religion, uh, you know, any, all of them would play in 
listen on the radio. Thanks. Good question, especially with regard to the Pope. And you heard that statement too, Alan, and it had to be somewhat shocking that it was so blatant. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you that um, Malachi Martin uh, was a sort of renegade uh, to, to the Catholic Church. He, he was an advisor to popes and a cardinal, and he also was a high Jesuit. But he also came out on his own afterwards, and for years um, he warned the people uh, that the Catholic, the Catholic Church was completely infiltrated, um, and that uh, the boys, in fact, he actually mentioned uh, Ratzinger before he died. He mentioned them in one of his talks. I have it here. Mm-hmm. He said, this man is a politician. He's, he's not a religious man at all. He's a politician. And, he, he, of course, the idea was to use all existing religions, especially the Catholic Church, it has too many followers to, to just discard without using. And the Fabians always said that you look for all large organizations, then you put your own people in at the top. Now you, now you can lead millions of people. You don't just start from scratch. You use existing ones. And that's what I've done with the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church, um, according to Jax E. Lowell, Jax E. Lowell, um, was advisor to Francois Mitterrand, and he also was a high advisor to the United Nations. He put out a couple of books, and in one of them he, he talks about um, uh, that it's a, it's a distinct possibility uh, that even Israel uh, will, will be made sort of the capital of the world for commerce eventually down the road. That's one possibility that had been discussed to the United Nations, and he wrote it um, Frank Jack Attali wrote uh, in his last book about that. He said the Catholic Church would have to be involved, Judaism would have to be involved, and even factions of, of Islam would have to be involved. And just in today's paper, there's a, a, an agreement now between a sect, a small, very small sect of Islam. There's a book actually just came out about it, and, and uh, the new Sanhedrin of the disorganized in Israel to make this come about. So. If you look at the Catholic Church's structure, which did incorporate a lot of paganism in order to keep itself as a, as a, as a powerful movement, and in the early days, there's no doubt it, it, it incorporated a lot of paganism, it's ideally set up uh, to be um, what we could call the religion for the New Age. You could say that. Mm-hmm. It's ideally set up in its structural system. Um, most priests today don't believe in, in evil anymore. You know, uh, it's like most most Christians in America too. They believe in a God because it's a nice Santa Claus, but they don't want to believe in evil. Well, you can't have one without the other. You see, you need them both if you if you believe in that religion. But most Catholics today are the same, and they've had their main rights destroyed. Uh, uh, their main mm-hmm. right, of course, uh, literally, is so watered down and changed that it's hardly recognizable by Catholics, and and they've also joined the United Nations and succumbed. To the United Nations, the United Nations to join the global society states you must not claim that you have um, the exact truth right. on your religion. You must accept that all religions have this, the same kind of truth. Well, Vatican and, Vatican II, yeah. I think, really was the turning point that people could yeah. point to and see very very visibly. But apart from the spirituality of any of these issues, when you talk about absolute control historically, uh, the Catholic Church has an entire history of this. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and it was a definitely a, a political, and from its very uh, foundations, it already was a political structure of an empire. And, um, and it, it incorporated religion into two. And uh, it, it's surprising, really, in a sense, that it, it lasted this long to me. 
Yeah. Um, it came under fire in the 1500s when the Qataris and Albigensi, etc., massive organizations which literally thought they could take over the Catholic Church and bring in their own religion. When they went head-to-head with the Catholic Church, the Qatars apparently, to, to the world, lost, but they didn't. They moved into Germany, uh, France, and so on, and then out came Rosicrucianism, and then eventually Freemasonry and international yeah. brotherhoods, sure. uh, which also spawned the communists uh, as well. Yeah. You betcha. we got Mike in South Philly. Hello, Mike. Oh, hi, Raleigh. Mr. Watts, this is absolutely great. Um, I first learned about this whole thing about the socialism as religion and uh, from Holy Blood, Holy Grail, and then the Messianic legacy. I never got caught up in the silly concept that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene. It didn't matter to me, but their point that what they, the whole point was what they were doing was transferring uh, political cultural into a base religion for everyone. And that mm-hmm. was the point of the two books that most people miss. Uh, but then it got compounded with the drug and mass drugging of society. Uh, fluoride drinking water around the world is 65% effective in mm-hmm. making people compliant to what they're told to do. How yes. do we fix this problem with the, you know, the, first as, as a, it's religion to people, politics, and mm-hmm. second, they're drugs. You can't turn off drug by making people think. You can't, and you're quite right, too. Uh, I mean, fluoride itself was used by the early communists, then by Germany when it went to countries that would add fluoride to water. Britain followed it on very quickly. Now, this is the first authorized example of putting a drug. It is a medication. It's, it's classed as a, a med- medication or drug into your, your water supply. And it, it, it does have a calming effect. There's an article came out recently. I read it on the air uh, from a mainstream newspaper saying that some um, countries were studying uh, I think it was like a little place in Japan where the water was naturally heavily fluoridated and it had a calming effect on the people. Well, they want us all to be drugged and calm, of course. There's no doubt about that. And that's the real reason it was put in the water. But when you go into the writings of another uh, Fabian and Royal Institute of International Affairs member, uh, Julian Huxley, uh, the brother of Aldo Huxley, who wrote Brave New World and gave you the society they're bringing in in the novel, um, Julian Huxley talked about using the needle as well to literally make people comply and alter their mentality. Um, Lord Bertrand Russell said the same thing. We shall use the needle on the general population for compliance. Uh, literally, I, I these guys knew exactly where they were going. They would train the public that every injection was for your health, etc. But meanwhile, we find out, for instance, that the first polio shots, and I have the video of the guy who worked on the drug along with Salk and, and Sabine, saying that he was the one who warned them that, that the simian 40 virus that right. was in every one of those shots had only one function, and that was to cause cancer down the road in every person who got the shot. Right. So they were already planning and doing. See, this is a hard step to take for most people. They always think there's going to be some cataclysmic end at the end of time. They don't realize this war has already been started and implemented upon them from their birth. And that is one of the reasons why you have this gigantic increase in cancers all over the world. Um, we, have, uh, we have allergies going up uh, and tripling in a matter of uh, 10 years. Sure. Everyone's allergic. That's, that's autoimmune problems. All these inoculations you get affect your immune system and give you autoimmune problems. It makes you wide open to die off with a simple cold down the road if you can't fight it off. 
And now they've drummed up this fake uh, flu scare that, that literally is an utter farce because all the other scientists who have come, who have come out and explained the flu in detail and, and mentioned that this is not a flu at all. They're not even testing people uh, with swabs and, and analyzing it. Uh, they're just diagnosing a sniff or, or, a, or a sneeze and so on, or hay fever, and putting it down as swine flu, and that keeps the World Health Organization very happy. There's nothing really going on with this thing, yet they're so intense on using mandatory inoculation for a non-existent flu. Right. So what's the score here? I don't trust this at all, and I certainly will not be taking it. Yeah, me neither. Yes. Um, I have one other thing, if you uh, have time today, sure. you guys would discuss... Uh, the role of uh, who's the guy from the United Nations? Murray Strong, and yeah. him, Murray Strong, Timothy Worth, uh, Schneider. What their roles in all this have been over the past 25 years? Great, great. I'm uh, hang comment. Up now. Thank Thanks. you, Raleigh. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, all right, Murray Strong, go for it. Yeah, Murray Strong was picked up by Mr. Rockefeller himself when he was 15, and groomed for his position as, as a fervent um, Fabian, you might say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maurice Strong had all the, the natural psychopathic quali- uh, qualifications uh, as a control freak. He just knows how the world should be run and how we should all live, you see. And he was elevated into amazing high positions of power. Um, he's been into the United Nations uh, in different positions over the years. He's still there today. He was head of the World Bank at one point. Uh, he was the man who was set up, sent over to China uh, by the United Nations and given a massive office complex. Uh, to set up uh, the merging of the, the economies so that China would become uh, the industrial leader for the world, uh, using our, our tax money from across the world to do so. But an amazing thing about Maurice Strong was um, in a documentary from uh, public broadcasting one rainy, sunny uh, Sunday afternoon, it showed you him in China coming out of his office. He took a trip to Beijing, uh, a cemetery there, to visit his aunt's grave, his aunt. Now, Maurice Strong's from Canada, and his aunt is near Mao Zedong's uh, grave. And on the gravestone, it was, it was it said, um, uh, confidant and advisor to Mao Zedong. His aunt mm. was an advisor to Mao Zedong. These families, there are families that are called um, revolutionists, international, uh, intergenerational revolutionists, who literally have been at this for an awful long time. People don't realize that Thomas Paine was a professional revolutionist. He was sent over from England. And not once he, he finished with the U.S., he went over to continue it in France. But he was only one of many lineages that were doing the same thing. Other lineages were into the sciences, like the Huxleys, etc. And every generation of the Huxleys has their own special part to do with genetic manipulation and, and control of the public, etc., to bring in a brave new world. So Mr. Strong is a big, big player in this. Now, he was the guy who fronted the first Rio Air Summit um, mm-hmm. to give sustainability and so on, equal rights to everything that lived except man. Right, except and man. That, humans are the only creature in, in the entire uh, legislation uh, that aren't mentioned as having any rights at all. And he was asked at the meeting, and I've got it on tape uh, by someone who was there, uh, what about people? He says, well, there's no rights here for people, insects, animals, and trees, and so on. And, and Strong turned around and says, um, when we're finished with you, you'll wish that you had the same rights as a tree. 
which should have been the headline coast to coast and yes. internationally. That's the that's the thing that's just alarming. You have entire colleges where kids are wanting to sign on for their own oblivion, literally, mm-hmm. gleefully, joyously, and this doesn't seem to be anyone's headline. And, uh, you know, hopefully at this point, Alan, more people are looking at what you've been saying over the years because it is coming home to roost in front of them. Uh, yes. But the majority still are 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 running from it oh well that's just a band of kooks well and uh, they'll dismiss you any way they can rather than look at what's going on in their uh, in their own lives so that's where we'll pick it up i uh, urge you to look at what's going on in your life and you'll get a good glimpse into that on cutting through the matrix.com alan watts our guest will get to gary from Terre Haute. there'll be room for you too you probably have questions alan's got some answers right here on the raleigh james show It's the Raleigh James Show. If you're starting to think there's more behind our government than what you're being told, you're in the right place. The Raleigh James Show. Call Raleigh now at 888-876-5593. 8888-RALEIGH. Or better yet, dial us directly at 610-640-6400. We would love to hear from you. We're talking with Alan Watt, and we'll continue to do so for the next half hour. Your questions are welcome. We'll get to Gary from Terre Haute and to you. Cutting through the matrix.com is Alan's website. It is something you should read and remember as you do, and you'll see years worth of research because Alan is no newcomer to this. Uh, you will see that most of what he is saying now are things he was saying years before anybody expected a 9-11 or anybody expected a financial crisis. And all of this was, uh, was planned when you get right down to it. And while you may debate whether the actual events themselves were planned. The one thing that is irrefutable, no matter what side of the aisle you're looking on, if you look at this uh, honestly, it's irrefutable that everything that has happened has been seized upon to get us into the global agenda. And uh, the final days are not uh, not pretty ones. That's uh, that's for sure. So we'll uh, we'll get back to it with Gary's question. John came in, weighed in, said, "I got a question." So I promise I'll ask John's questions too. And there's be room for you too in the final half hour. All righty, so we've got Alan Watt, and I'll save John's question, but Gary from Terre Haute's been hanging on for a really long time, so welcome, Gary. Raleigh, thank you so much for taking my call. Mr. Watt, uh, might have the uh, Kelly Fields of uh, the Cayman Rouge uh, been a proof of, a proof of concept, or, or was Pol Pot just a loose cannon? Good question. Uh, I, I don't think it was quite a loose cannon, um when you see what happened with Pol Pot, uh, there was a systematic eradication of uh, a particular class of the people went into action immediately, and he, he moved entire cities out of the cities, 
and forced millions of people to get into the land and so on. That's where the killing fields came from and, and all the rest of it. So he was going to a plan, but there's no doubt about it. I mean, the CIA were in there heavily long before we'd heard his name and were interacting with, with at least his agents, you might say. And I think it was a sort of precursor of... of you see, at the very, very top, uh, with the NSA, CIA, Mossad, uh, MI6, and so on, what they do is they love to have tests, big tests carried out across the world uh, under warfare guises, just like... Now they're, they're, they're testing out equipment in Iraq that literally is, is a is sort of microwave equipment that, that's just burning people in the seats and buses and stuff, well documented. Um, and no one, of course, will object. No one can get in to object. It's under martial law. Um, but they do the same thing when they have little minor revolutions, etc., and so on. They play both sides of the game. They don't even have to come into a country and say, we're the CIA. They, they can go in under a different guise with, with front men, etc. But they, what they do is take incredible data collection of, of, of uh, projected plans that they suggest be implemented to see how they work. Mm. And uh, it was fascinating to see that this has, was actually um, written about before uh, Port came along. All right, good question. And then it actually came into action when it, when it actually did come. And, and those very things that have been discussed at very high levels actually were all done. Yeah. All righty. Thanks, Gary. I sure appreciate it. All righty. Now, let me ask John's question before we go on, and we'll get to Charles and to Dave, I promise. But uh, And John's asked me off the air this quite a lot, too, when I go on and on, much like you do, Alan. And uh, he says, well, uh, the New World Order, uh, if they get what they want, uh, how, how does that help them? Because right now it seems that they have everything anyway. So what do they gain by doing this? What they gain, uh, apart from mastery and pulling everything off, because what they're doing right now is standardizing every culture in the world into the one same cultural system mm-hmm. and financial system and banking system and, and so on um, under a world government. There's no doubt about that. Uh, we saw the Economic Union, now sure. the American Union. The last signatory, by the way, uh, for the American Union is, is 2010. They've already done five. There's one to come in 2010. They were totally integrated. I don't know if the public in America know that, but it's talked about up in, in mainstream television in Canada. Sure. Um, so what, they, what they're doing is going through stages through a formula. What they know by previous experience, if they rush ahead too fast at any part of the, of the Fabian plan, that's why it's Fabian, uh, they can lose control from unforeseen events and circumstances. People who will do things that were unthought of uh, and not put into the possibilities of their plans uh, reacting in different ways that they hadn't foreseen. That's why they go Fabian style. Fabian, mm-hmm. uh, remember the Emperor Fabian would take long-term strategies with his enemies right. over a long period of time. And right. so through incrementalism, that's the key to it, intergenerationally through incremental changes, you, you adapt to the little changes until you turn around when you're an adult and everything's completely changed. You say, well, how did that happen? Well, you've adapted to every small part that came along. If they hit you with it all at one time, there'd be sure. riots. People don't sure. like moving from one system to another system. Sure. Suddenly. So it shocks them, and they fight for it, and, and they yeah. put up resistance. But when you make them adapt little by little by little over a period, mainly of, I'd say, since the 60s onwards, uh, th- then you've trained them to accept the coming next part, in fact. You've trained them to adapt, and, and you've already prepared their minds through... through um, Repetition of certain key phrases, uh, terminologies, etc., etc., 
so they'll think it's all quite normal. The next step is, step is quite normal. Sustainable development is, is coming out, uh, probably it's mentioned 10,000 times a day across the world on mainstream televisions and, and radios. Mm-hmm. It, it's like a mantra. It's like, it's like weapons of mass destruction. Same thing. Mm-hmm. And Bernays said that they would use this technique, whereas the children in school who are now coming into their teens or 18s or so, they've been hearing this since uh, the year 2000 under, sure. under UNESCO's plans. They've been getting taught this stuff in school, sustainable development. It's the adults now that have to catch up with it. So, so when we're when we're looking when you're l- looking at this, uh, and I think you're saying the same thing that I always do uh, to the to those true elites. In some ways, it's like a game, not that much different from Milton Bradley. And the game is called control. And when you're controlling as much as you've controlled to, to an outsider, it looks like you've got everything you want. But the ultimate goal is to control the world. The world, yeah. And that's a lot of different cultures, different mental makeups, different cultural values and systems. You have to standardize them all by force if necessary, and that's what geopolitics is all about. Sure. And, you and know, uh, tying it back even with the technocrats uh, like Maurice Strong, this is what Professor Carl Quigley called them, and Zygmunt Brzezinski called them. The technocrats, according to Quigley, have the real power. They're unelected, they work behind the scenes. Uh, they, they have um, the glory of making all the big decisions and getting things done without the public interfering, and they don't have to answer to the public. This world they're bringing in, according to Quigley, is a new feudal system where the, the CEOs of the big international corporations will be the new feudal overlords, and uh, we'll be the new peasants, the new serfs on the land, uh, according to how many they actually need to serve them. But it, it's a never-ending story because they already have... Uh, and I was reading Alal's book recently, or Jack Zatali's uh, book recently, I should say. Yeah. Jack Zatali said uh, that their hope eventually, after all these riots, and after they've changed the world over the next 50 years, until there's only a few city-states left, right. um, they said, he said that um, our future lies in the transhumanists. Uh, this is the, the, the upgraded, uh, genetically modified, or even cloned types of humans uh, and they will obviously serve the elite uh, much more efficiently, efficiently than we have. Um, at the Newt Gingrich meeting, the International Meeting of Science, which he hosts every year since 2000 at Loyola University, um, he had them in 2000, that the top guys in the biotech industry saying they were going to part of the stage to get to that phase would be to chip every member of the public. They said... They have the techniques to do it now. It works. They even have mm. central computers set up to handle the public, to program you. And the, the, the top scientists from Japan in this field said uh, the world will no longer be a, a mass of individuals. There will be no individualism. And it said, in fact, it will be impossible to even think of yourself as an individual once this chip is given. He said, think of it more like the, the hive, the beehive. Mm and you'll hear the whispers of orders coming from central computers to people around you and whispers going back from them to the central computers. So Atali talks about this phase in his last book and, and he says that the hope, in other words, they're going to create literal gods mm-hmm. that have been genetically modified for themselves, for the elite group, with a mass of servants below them that will not need entertainment, um, They'll have no ability even to think of themselves as individuals. They'll be purely servants, two types of classes. Right. Uh, the elite class 
who will be technically in part of their goal, mind you, is physical immortality. One of them is David Suzuki. He came out on national television in Canada. He's a top geneticist and does all these wildlife shows and a head guy at the United Nations for sustainability. He said, we now have the ability to make a person live to 500 years if we wish to, if we wish to, mm-hmm. um, through stopping the time gene. You know what's really interesting about this when you when you take it uh, just from a human nature logical conclusion? The elites, if they get what they want, that, that's all right for a while. They've got their servitude class and their clones, and they've got their control. But once that control is absolute and those servants are as they want them to be, it isn't too long before they're going to get very bored. This has happened before in the Middle Ages. Really? Uh, when the elites uh, become so arrogant... And they have no competition, and no one can fight against them. They're so powerful with their armies and their knights and all the rest of it. They become very aberrant in their behavior because they are technically psychopathic. Right. They are really psychopathic. And um, when they have no enemies, they must find uh, someone Mm -hmm. to... to, uh, to, There'll be a period of cruelty like the Middle Ages where they literally roasted people over fires for entertainment and toward. But they will eventually turn on each other, you know. They have to. And... The other thing, too, is uh, there's going to be a leader of the world, the first technical king, you might say. I don't care what title they give him, but he'll be the first king of the world. Now, psychopaths can all work together till they get to that stage, mm-hmm. but they, they all want power. It's a, it's a thing within a psychopath. It's a craving, sure. like a drug. So they all want that throne, and I think that's when they'll start... Um, going at each yes. other. going to be yeah. fascinating. I may not be here, but it will be fascinating. All right, let's see if we can get Dave in South Carolina in here. Hello, Dave. Hello, Riley. How are you all doing tonight? All right, what's your question? Uh, I had like three. Okay. I know you talk about the gold. I was just wondering, just an average person, what somebody can put up for gold. Uh, I've, I've got into the heirloom seeds, and I'm just looking at if this gentleman can give you an idea what kind of what kind of what what you could look at as far as ammunition to hold to hold yourself back? Okay. All right. Good questions. Listen off the air, Dave. Thanks. Yeah, that that goes back again to what can we do? Does owning gold in the short term help? Does it help if you're doing heirloom seeds in your own garden? And what else can you do? Uh, really, uh, I, I've been telling people for years, if they can, if they can, um, to try and get somewhere in the country, any little place in the country, far away from the major cities. Because they've already said at the top that the first lockdowns are already set up for the cities. Uh, anything after that will, will take a long, maybe even years, before they get around to major uh, wide rural areas. Mm-hmm. And to be as self-sufficient as possible. It's a good idea with the seeds, absolutely. Um, by the way, that bill they put through in uh, the oh, Congress there. 29, the good, yes. Uh, oh, yes. Has clauses in there that, that sort of hint at licensing people yes. for even having a garden. Yes. Uh, so if I grow a garden somewhere in the country, I'll keep it very, very quiet, you know. Well, uh, the, the real key is, unfortunately, you won't share it. And uh, you, You've got to keep it quiet right. even from the government because right. they're going to eventually license people sure to have will. gardens. Sure they will. And if they catch you selling even something to your brother, you're in trouble. So, uh, you will be in trouble. Right. Yeah. Right. Don't, don't, uh, don't share. Harder and harder to get heirloom seeds or to get seeds that Monsanto hasn't tainted. And yep. uh, especially harder for, uh, for small farmers, some of whom, as you well know, in Canada have been put to jail because yep. of cross-pollination. Uh, I assume that the move toward to control the food supply is going to jump exponentially in the next three to five years. There's no doubt they want the entire food supply 
of the whole world. This is happening yes. across the world. Yes. But if people know Mennonites, for instance, um, uh, it's, it's, and get friendly with them because those guys have their own seeds, they're very, very friendly people. And um, whatever you get, keep quiet about it and um, start preparing for a, a, a very rough future. Yeah. And uh, hopefully you'll come through it. Um, but really, within a city, you're going to be at the mercy of, of the authorities that do want to eventually bring in rationing. Yeah, absolutely. You can see, yeah. you can see that uh, that coming. So I would assume that the key is not only to be outside of a major city, but also be in an area where the land will grow something. Uh, yes. You know, uh, Arizona is not your best place because I think the the real fight down the road is going to be for water. Water as well. Food and water are on the cards. Uh, the United Nations, the first attempt to take over the, the world's food supply was put down in Israel at the United Nations meeting back in the 60s. And they talked about the coming uh, water wars yeah. and food wars and that the, the people had no right, they said, the United Nations to, to have access to their own water. This water doesn't belong to you anymore. It belongs to the world. And guess yeah. who's in charge of it? United Nations, not you. Right. Well, exactly. Now, I know there's a number of people, in fact, I've gotten some emails saying, well, give me a timeline, give me a timeline. And, and you sort of did. But are you figuring that it's all going to start hitting the fan in 2010? That's what uh, the think tanks project uh, are 2010 uh, and then uh, 2012 it will start to heat up and they, they project 30 years as they take us through this massive transition from one way of living to another. That's really what it's all about, from one way of living to a completely new system. Uh, it's going to take about 30 years of rioting. And I can imagine too, the ones who will be doing the fighting will be dying off, even getting older in 30 years. Sure. And the up and coming younger ones will know nothing in fact, you think about it, since 2001, uh, that there's children today um, that are about eight years of age uh, that have been grown up in martial law. They, they think this is normal. Right. They've never known anything to do with democracy, freedom, uh, um, schools without checkouts, checkups and, right. and, and cops and so on, uh, and uh, troops on the streets um, and the subways and all this kind of stuff. They've, they think this is normal. It fits in with their video games and their movies. Um, they, they're, they're the ones who will grow up as the older right. ones are dying off in 30 years, and they will comply with everything, thinking it's all quite natural. Because sure. there's nothing to compare it to. Sure, they will. And what you're saying makes so much sense because, incrementally speaking, those of us who in 30 years will be dead just by the clock, there's no reason to mess with us fully. Just let us die because we will. And so, people who are thinking that it's going to be this big cataclysmic moment, I think it will, like, like I think you do, believe it will be continued, although stepped up, incrementalism, and nature will take its course. Absolutely. Uh, it'll take its course, and as I say, they've already planned an up-and-coming generation that'll fit yeah. right into it, into scarcity, and believing they're doing the right thing to save the world by not having very much and living like paupers. And like Orwell's, uh, George Orwell's um, uh, 1984, he says, uh, some are more equal in such than others in such utopias. Well, it'll be exactly like the Soviet system, where you have this hierarchical elite living on the, on the high hog, and the masses down below uh, living on very little at all. Uh, that's the system they're bringing in. This is the new feudal system uh, that Professor um, Carol, uh, Carol Quigley talked about. Sure.
And it's it's here, and probably one of the very few places you can get all the information is at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. To an extent, uh, foretold is forewarned. I, I hope everybody will, in fact, go to the site, and I hope you'll join us again. Oh, it will be a pleasure to come back on again. Thank you for everything you're doing, Alan. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. All righty. So, and cut. CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, you can uh, not only uh, read to your heart's content, you can also donate uh, because, uh, again, you can tell that uh, big government isn't sending Alan a check. All right, yeah, no doubt about that. Monsanto won't be donating, uh, so it's really up to you and me. So there you have it, Alan Watt, and we're grateful. I will put this up online after the show in perpetuity uh, should you want to hear it. And, uh, of course, it also stream all night tonight. So uh, 610-640-6400 on The Raleigh James Show. Mm-hmm.